Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. My name is Ben Sternke. I'm one of the co-founders of Gravity Leadership. I'm here with Matt Tebby. That's me who is also one of the co-founders of Gravity Leadership. Uh, ben Hardman, our other co-founder, is, when we're recording this, it is spring break, and he's on vacation. He's on a beach in Florida, so... Good uh, for him. Yep. Uh, right. We're so ex- <laughs> happy for you, Hardman. Right. Yeah, it's like 40 degrees out here. Anyway, um, this is uh, going to be our final episode uh, where initial, we focus... Initial episodes. Yeah, our final initial. Yeah, so I was going to say our final episode <laughs> of our initial series of episodes. Okay. Yes, uh, about our missional theology axioms. And so, if you haven't listened to any of the other episodes, I would encourage you to go back uh, through and listen through them. But we are going to actually review all the missional theology axioms today and talk about them specifically in this light. On our last podcast, we talked a bit about why they're important, why we have them, kind of where they emerged from. And we, and we began to talk about um, how uh, the shift from a Christendom culture uh, and mindset into a post-Christendom culture and mindset has necessitated for us in our ministry, in our coaching, um, in our lives, has necessitated naming some of what these shifts entail. Yeah. 
for us. And so the, the, these axioms function as paradigms. They function as lenses through which we see the world, not necessarily new things that we see in the world, but new lenses through which we see the world. Uh, they function as new wineskins that we can pour this new wine into. And um, so this on this final uh, episode of these, uh, where we're focusing on these axioms, we wanted to just talk a little bit about how each of these axioms contrast with Christendom assumptions uh, yeah. that we oftentimes don't name, yeah. but, uh, but the, the axioms function as ways of saying, actually, we do need to name this because this is something that keeps tripping us up. Because we haven't named it, because we haven't named, this is an assumption about how we use power, or this is an assumption about how we uh, engage with uh, people who don't believe in Jesus. This is an assumption about how we inhabit the world, parent our kids, uh, lead our ministries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we've hinted at some of these things in our previous episodes, but we've never really explicitly said, "Here's here's an example of a Christendom axiom." Let's get that explicit. This contrasts, yeah. with. So yeah. we're going to try to do this in twenty minutes. Gotta, we gotta so go. we got to go. We got to go. Don't shilly shally. So the first missional theology axiom is that God is always present and at work. What does this contrast with, Matt? Uh, well, in Jesus' day, Jesus, uh, there was this this sense for the people living in Israel that God was most fully present in the Holy of Holies and then in the temple. And then as you went out from the temple and these different courts and different uh, places that were divided uh divided people out from, you know, women and Gentiles, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have places like Galilee or like uh, Tyre and Sidon or or like uh, uh, Capernaum or like the leper colony or s- sinners and tax collectors where God was not present, right? There was a... Yeah. Right? There wasn't... And you see this with uh, the Samaritan woman. She wants to talk to Jesus about where is God present uh, most fully. And in Jesus's ministry, what we see over and over again is that he is the presence of God, and he chooses to spend a majority of his time in the places where the religious leaders and thinkers, the people who got paid to be Jews, where they presume God wasn't present. Yeah. So Jesus was ruthless in bringing God's presence to the places of no presence. Mm-hmm. Galilee, yes. tax collectors and sinners, Gentiles. Yes. Where are the places of no presence in our current day, or the Christendom assumptions about where God lives? Is there? Can I make a mainstream media joke here? <laughs> uh, I I don't set the rules, so I you go ahead. Well, I think we would. Uh, you know, I think most uh, Christians would. We like to differentiate ourselves from the religious leaders because they get such a bad rap. In in the like the Pharisees, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we read it and we and we think, okay, so thank God we're not like those Pharisees and Sadducees who completely <laughs> miss Jesus. But right. we're you know we you know we've we're evangelicals. We're we're Christians. We we know what we're doing. Mm. I, I think that we tend to, um, I, I think we tend to presume that God is most fully present in that work at our organized events. Yeah, the things that we host and, and put on and The things for. we plan, the things we produce, the things we invest a lot of our time and energy in, so Sunday mornings. Programs. Yeah, programs, things like that. And uh, let, let me just say unequivocally that I have no issue with assuming God is present at work in our worship, in our gatherings. Yeah. Right? If, if not, then what are we doing? Right. So, yeah. right. so, yeah. so the, the axiom isn't meant to disparage God's presence and activity there. The axiom is meant to open us up to God's presence and activity in every other space, in yes. 99.3% of our other life yeah. that isn't scheduled and programmed and event, yeah. evented. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Good. So none of us would ever claim as an axiom, God only shows up 
at the events that I plan or the quiet times that go perfect. But we wouldn't. But it's how we live our lives. Yeah. Oftentimes, we right? We invest a lot of our. We invest a majority of our time and energy and focus on very punctiliar, specific, particular mm-hmm. events. Yes. And then we invest a lot of energy in making them quote go well. Right, right. So God was in the event, not necessarily because I planned it, but God's in the event if it goes well. Yeah. And if so I, if, if I notice something, I, I notice this uh, in, in the way that I automatically evaluate our church services. Like I don't try to do this, but I always, I, I always feel if, if we have a church service where there was lower attendance, where, uh, you know, some cue got missed or, you know, the, the worship leader uh, who might happen to be me uh, on some Sundays, you know, missed, a, missed the note or, or your, people just didn't seem into it or they were bored. skinny jeans didn't fit. Yeah, or whatever. Like, I've got all these ways of evaluating whether or not it went well, and it yeah. affects how I feel afterwards. Yeah. A lot. Right. I feel energized when I think it goes well, and I feel a little bit depressed when I don't think it goes well. Right. Automatically, automatically. So yeah. there's, so there's also, also then the the second piece of this is that God's God God moves if I experience things as successful. Yes, that's how we know God was at work. I can trust God's presence and work if a I perceive it and b if I think it went well based upon some rubric or uh, assessment of what's actually happening. Yes. Totally, yeah, and so it opens up it opens up a new vista, a new way of looking at uh, church services that don't go well, for example, yeah, and anything that doesn't go well, any heartache or heart heartbreak or or anything like that. We right. can say God is present here, right? He's at work here, right? I think I've told the story before on the podcast, but um, if I haven't, uh, just just as an illustration of this, I was pastor of a church in a previous place, and we. Um, I wasn't leading worship that day, but the worship leader restarted the worship song, the opening song, three times. Because of failing to figure out what key it was in, right? Well, it was, it was one like of those, uh, you know, this was several years ago, back when uh, every worship song was written where the men sang something and the women echoed it. You remember this, We should right? get back to those days. Those were fun. You know? Yeah. I could, because every woman everywhere loves to only sing after the men. <laughs> and echo exactly and what the men echo say. echo exactly <laughs> what the men said. Uh, right. So, uh, anyway, we were singing this song, and we started it, and the echoing wasn't happening. And then we restarted it, uh, and the, um, the the person, the woman singing with the guy who was leading, wasn't echoing correctly. Yeah. And then he restarted it again and realized that he was singing the first part wrong. Anyway, so uh, because of the church, it was a fairly healthy church um, at the time. Uh, we kind of laughed and sort of played it off, and we restarted the worship like four times. Now I I've worked at some churches where that worship leader would have been fired. Right? It, right, like it's no joke. You don't right. you don't show up for Sunday morning unprepared, right? right? There's we have a whole ethic too. Like, hey, excellence, uh, excellence, mm-hmm. right? Excellence becomes the benchmark for faithfulness. Mm-hmm. So we know that you are faithful if you are excellent. Yeah, can we just say that's rubbish? By the way, can yeah, I just? It is rubbish. It's rubbish. It's yeah. not that being excellent is wrong, but it's that it's a it's not a faithful substitute for faithfulness. Right. So anyway, so my friend uh, who's leading worship. Uh, does this three times, whatever. This guy comes up to me after the service, a guy who had visited twice before, and he's in tears. Hmm. And uh, I just said, hey, man, it's good to see you. And he said, can I just tell you something? He said, I lead worship. And he mentioned the church. The church is, um, was one of the largest churches in the country at that time. And if I would have done what Jeff, the worship leader, did, I would have been fired. 
and he said, uh, I've been looking, I've been looking for like, I've been waiting for God to release me from this church. Um, and I think this is a place that I can actually be a Christian at Wow! because, um, it's okay to like, it's okay to, to fail here. It's okay to be normal here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so for me, from like my, the rubrics that I have just embedded in my bones, like I would look at that Sunday morning worship at our, at that church and think, well, we did not, I give us a solid B minus, right? Maybe a C plus. Yeah. Right. But for this, this guy who became a really good friend of mine, this was an A plus service because what it communicated to him was you, you don't have to be excellent all the time here. Like yeah. you can fail here and you don't receive less love. You receive more love. Yeah. And you're accepted and okay here. Okay, so, right? It's great, yeah. And, and that's complete. It was completely transformational for him mm-hmm. because we live in a culture, right, where God only moves if I'm excellent. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> now we could probably name twenty more of these. Right. Situations where we assume God's doing something here, but not there. Yes, right. but but for the sake of time. We're going to keep right. moving. We're going to keep moving. We could. We could always say more. Uh, second axiom is that G- God is like Jesus, and in him is no one Christ-likeness at all. Um, what does this contrast with? Contrast with... Here's one thing it contrasts <laughs> with. <laughs> I was asking you, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll start us off. The, uh, this contrasts with the assumption that God is on our side. It contrasts with the assumption that what we're doing is automatically what God endorses and approves of because we're Christians and we're in charge here. That's a Christendom assumption. The Christendom assumption is we carry around God's presence as something we can use at our leisure. To endorse our agendas and our Mm -hmm. biases, our opinions. Yeah. Uh, And, um, and, and God is, is uh, like, we speak for God yeah. He's on our side, yes. and 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 because God is on our side, He endorses our attempts to increase our reach and power and dominion in the world. Yes. The assumption is that is a good thing for us to be more in charge and more in charge of more people, and thus we use every method at our disposal to make that happen. So God is on our side is sort of a Christendom assumption that we, we sort of just carry it around with us in mm-hmm. our culture. Why is God is like Jesus, and there's no one Christ-likeness in him at all? Ben, why is God is on our side and God is like Jesus? Why, are, mm. why is one a corrective to the other? Yeah, so I, I want to say, too, God is on our side. Like, there, there is a way of saying that that I think is helpful for some people, and good, right? That there is a sense in which God does love us, care for us, right? That kind of thing. But what oh, yeah. I mean, well, he's an advocate, right? He's, he's an our, advocate for right. it, right? So he's on our... But, but the way we're talking about it is that God sort of implicitly endorses everything we do because we put his bumper sticker on our car, right? That's kind of what we're saying. What if, I have, two, what if I have two bumper stickers? Then a double endorsement. <laughs> you did well. Um, so yeah, so double endorsement. So uh, the reason that this is a corrective um, is that... Uh, I mean, just one, one thing that I'm thinking of now is that Jesus never... Um, you see Jesus resist being co-opted into the political and power arguments of his day consistently. He didn't, it wasn't like he picked a side. You know, he, 
Herod tried to co-opt him in, right? Hey, you know, send for Jesus. I, I think I'd like to, you know, hear from him. And and Herod was used to that being probably a fairly, oh, of course, I'll come. But dance, Jesus, monkey, dance. Yeah. But Jesus basically says, uh, you know what? Send Herod a message tell for the, me. Tell that fox. Tell that fox uh, that, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, obviously the Pharisees tried to co-opt him uh, into what they were doing. Um, and then the people as well tried to co-opt him and make him king on several occasions to say, oh, you're a great, I know what you should do. Um, but Jesus very consistently resisted all of those uh, attempts to kind of co-opt his uh, charisma, his power, his, you know, whatever people were seeing in him. He resisted those attempts to do that and instead said, no, I, I actually have something very new to show you yeah. about who God is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Christendom exists when there are sides. And what Jesus does in his death and resurrection is he puts himself on the side of the other. Yeah, whoever that is. Whoever that is, definitively, defiantly, decisively. Yeah. And so there's a sense in which if I think God is on my side, I'm not thinking like Jesus because in Jesus there are no sides. Yeah. Like, his call is to lay down your sides. That dividing wall of hostility, whatever it is, is it Jew-Gentile, is it male-female, is it slave-free, whatever it is, like, I've, I'm t- I've torn it down. Yeah. The curtain has been torn, mm-hmm. right? The dividing wall of hostility has been abolished. Now, you get to choose if you continue to live and make sense of your life with sides or not. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so there are plenty of sides in our culture— Often Jesus gets pulled into uh, being used to uh, v- like sort of um, assert the veracity of our side, right? right? So we have left, right, we've got black, white, we've got all these sides in our culture. Yeah. Um, and, and so God is like Jesus in the sense that he demolishes and, and decisively triumphs over uh, a reality that makes sense of my side, my side wins, your side loses. Yeah, yeah. Right? My side's the right side, and God's on our side. Right. Yes. So he uses his power to stand on the people on the other side. Yeah. Wherever you are, whatever the other side is, that's where Jesus is. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that, God is like Jesus, and so that, that axiom challenges us to then lay down the way we make sense of ourselves in contrast to others. Yes. Right? Yeah, because the easiest way to create a group identity, Ben, is to define ourselves over and against who we're not. Yeah, right. And in so doing, we automatically dehumanize the other, turn them into an object well, instead we, of a subject. We regard them from a worldly perspective. <laughs> right. Right. We we do what Paul says he no longer does. We mm-hmm. we 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 live as though. Uh, flesh and blood are the enemy, yeah. and and that's that's not to that's not to see people the way that Jesus does. Yes. So God is like Jesus, and there's no unchristlikeness like in Him at all. Means God will not be co-opted, so that we can triumph over the other side. Mm-hmm. But but God puts His body uh, on the line, lays yeah. His life down for those people on the other side, so that they would come into the family of faith, so they would come into the kingdom. Yes, good. Axiom number three is that God is so real, he most fully meets us where we really are, where we really are. Yep. And um, this is in contrast to um, maybe the assumption, the Christendom assumption that God's reality is most seen in the things that kind of blow us away, the (laughs) things that make us uh, amazed. Blow our minds. That blow our minds. Say say something about that. Yeah, I think, gosh... 
I mean, so just going back to the life of Jesus, like in Mark's gospel, Mark makes a big deal about Jesus. Uh, he, he presents a contrast kingdom that, that confronts and overthrows the kingdom of darkness, right? So there's all this stuff with casting out demons, and there's just a power encounter. Mark's gospel, at least up to Mark chapter 8, is just this one giant power encounter with Jesus bringing the kingdom. And and people are amazed, like astonished, amazement. Um, In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is more of a teacher, and so they're not simply amazed at his miracles like they are right. in Mark's gospel, but they're also amazed by his teaching. Oh, his nobody, authority. Nobody right. teaches yeah. like this. Yeah. this. This is amazing. This is amazing. Um, and um, uh, what, what's, what's most striking to me, if you read the gospel narratives and you notice the people who, who get wowed by uh, the loaves in the wilderness mm-hmm. or who get wowed by um, seeing uh, miraculous signs and wonders, who ask for them, yeah, they tend to not become disciples. Right. At, at a certain point, they turn away. They become fans of the Jesus show. Yeah. Right? Uh, the people who actually, though, meet, meet Jesus where they really are, the people who take their wants and their deepest needs and touch the hem of the garment or, 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 or ask, ask to come heal my daughter who's just died or who say, son of David, have mercy on me. They're the ones who trust Jesus is what they most want. Jesus meets them where they really are, and then they get up, and we're told explicitly, they follow Jesus on the way. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, one of the things I remember when I first started kind of getting serious about uh, faith and uh, Jesus when I was was in high school, I remember remember sort of being puzzled by how Jesus never wanted to draw attention to his miracles— he was always like, go and don't tell anybody what happened to you. Go and tell, you know, like, uh, he was constantly doing this. He yeah. was constantly trying to send people out of the room and uh, trying to run away quick because the crowd was gathering, that kind of thing. And yeah. that, I remember that puzzling me. But this is, this is essentially what, uh, this is a result of what you're, set, what you're talking about, where Jesus wasn't doing these things in order to increase his visibility, in order to increase his fame, in order to wow the people. He was doing them in response to people who came to him where they really were. Yeah. Heartbroken, uh, just wounded people who were desperate enough to say, hey, I think you might be able to do something for me. Yes. Son of David, have mercy on me. Yes. And so and so the Christen, so the Christendom temptation is to attach like my mind being blown or me having this amazing mountaintop experience mm-hmm. with that's the closest I get to who God is. Yeah. So we end up chasing, uh, you know, this is maybe, maybe I just speak autobiographically here, ending up chasing mountaintop experience, thinking if I get to this heightened emotional yeah. state, or if I, if I hear a sermon that just blows my mind, if I go to this conference and hear that preacher speak and he blows my mind and I can't stop thinking about what he said, then God, or if I go to, let's say, some small town in California and receive gold dust on my face. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if I get yeah. if I get in touch with this supernatural thing I can't explain through, like, my imperial sort of uh, enlightenment or scientific mind, then God will be more yeah. real to me. Yeah. Right? But yeah. what we see, what we see Jesus embodying and enacting is that the reality of God, uh, it, it doesn't exclude miraculous. No. But, but it, the people who become disciples are those who get their shame healed mm-hmm. are the people who receive healing in their body in a way that they, 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 it's, it's usually private. It's usually small. It's usually, it's usually, 
It's a conversation at a well with nobody else around. It's it's a it's a it's a blind person on the road who who calls out for for healing, mm-hmm. right? It's or, these, or a woman who didn't even say anything but just reached out and touched the hem of his garment because yeah. she thought, well, maybe. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, so the reality of God's of God's presence and power with us is 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 not in getting our minds blown or seeing something we can't explain. Uh, as much as, or it's it's more than that. It's in it's in actually reckoning with where we really are and trusting that God is like in Jesus was in His day, still is today, waiting to meet us right there. Yes, that's good. We don't escape our problems by getting our mind blown and seeing signs and wonders. Mm-hmm. We engage our problems and meet Jesus right there. Yeah, and we don't define how how God is going to meet us and and set up requirements for it right so my problem might be uh that I'm sick and I need healing but if I if I constantly have this thought that God will f- God will be meeting me when I'm finally healed oh yeah right then we're we're unable to meet him in any other place and so we're just we're frustrated and waiting for our healing now I don't want to diminish people who need healing and are reaching out for it yeah sometimes you fall asleep uh because the guy preached too long, and you fall and you die, fall to your death, and you get raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you pray for a thorn in your flesh to be removed, and it doesn't get removed. Right? Some, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you uh, get thrown in prison, and you pray and sing, and the doors fly open, and you walk out. Yeah. And sometimes you get thrown in prison, and you write, uh, you know, twelve epistles because you can't get out. Right. And then you're killed. And then you're killed. <laughs> like that's just that's just yeah. what happens, right? Yeah. It's yeah. Just what happens. Totally. All right. Uh, this podcast will be a little bit longer, but we're going to finish this up. I'm committed. Yep. Are you Here in? Here we go. I'm in. I'm in. Axiom number four, God cares more about all of it than you do. God cares more about all of it than you do. Um, this, I think, is in contrast to the Christendom assumption that God is something, he's a resource uh, that I use uh, to, to get uh, good things done, rather than trusting that God is a person who actually cares more about whatever this thing is that I care about than I do. Um, I think there's a Christendom assumption that, uh, that God is a little bit more like a tool or a resource, something that I have to learn how to navigate or manipulate. God is a lever that I use yeah, to like make a, things happen, get things done. Yeah, yeah. Even if they're good, and they're good things, right? Let's assume they're good things that, that I want to get done. All right. You know, let's assume that. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> so we assume that, but but this is in contrast to that. Uh, assumption that God is then uh, something that I have to figure out, something that God is sort of God is sort of like waiting for me to figure out how to live my life in faith, and He's uh, I think probably a little bit frustrated and sighing at me. Yeah, yeah. So you know? this is something I think we've lost. Um, we we live in a highly tech technical technological uh, advanced society where we have. I mean, I, with my iPhone right now, I can adjust the lights in my house. I can adjust the heat in my house. Mm-hmm. I've got a little uh, diffuser uh, with some uh, patchouli oil being diffused into the air. Don't tell my wife. She doesn't like patchouli, but that's why the door is closed. So, like, <laughs> the, like uh, I've got a little... Secret hippie comedy. I've got a speaker there. I can put a little music on. I've got a... There's all kinds of ways I have to manipulate and control things in my environment via technology, which in technology is just an extension of our personality, which is why... You know, mm-hmm. people begin to identify with their technology, and it becomes, you know, there's yeah. a whole conversation about transhumanism right. that goes into that. Right. 
but that's a different podcast. <laughs> uh, but so, so we have this illusion, I think, in, in so all these Christendom contrasts are Christendom is about our relationship to power. Yes. Right? Yes. All of, if you, if you, uh, <laughs> I know you'll listen to this podcast six times, but if you go back <laughs> and listen to each of these axioms, it was a joke, uh, you'll notice that all of these things are our relationships to power are shifted mm-hmm. as we begin to operate and see the world, operate in and see the world the way Jesus did. Um, but, but God cares about it more than me, releases me from the tyranny of having to control and manage everything. Yeah. Which is the promise offered to me through advertisers, through uh, Wall Street, through Capitol Hill, Mm-hmm. through Hollywood, everybody is offering me the story that you can become small G God yeah. and you can control and manipulate your environment. Yeah, That is the dominant... I mean, America isn't about not having a king. America, the promise of America is mm-hmm. everybody gets to be king, Yeah, right? So there's this sense in which I, I don't have to try. I just assume that reality exists to bend to my will. Mm-hmm. This is what road rage is about. That's why people lose their biscuit. Yeah, when they don't, when somebody cuts them off, mm-hmm. right? It, it's thwarting their will. It's just a, it's yeah. a revealing of like how we always live, which is everything exists, everything exists for me mm-hmm. <laughs> at my disposal. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, and so uh, the axiom God cares about it more than me is that it reminds me that God is God is operating at a different frequency. He's mm-hmm. at work, and I I don't have to manage and control. Everything that's yeah. not that's not what God requires of me. That's not what God expects of me, and that's not what God wants for me. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm reminded of uh, one of the things that Dallas Willard uh, said that was deeply impactful for me uh, was that he said most most people don't find sin uh, enjoyable or something that they're seeking out. They find it unfortunately necessary if they're going to get what they want, and so. <sighs> There's a sense in which he, the part of the good news that he would proclaim to people is he said, not getting what you want is okay. Why do, why do you assume that you should have what you want? <laughs> That's kind of what you're talking about there. I miss Dallas Willard. Me too. Oh. Me too. What a voice, right? But why uh, do you assume? But so he, he would talk about that. Why, like, getting what you want is sort of the, like, that's what you're talking about. That's the assumption that we have is that well, that's I the can pro- have that's the good the good life. news. That's the good news, the promise. Every, you can every have what you want. advertiser yes. in the commercial is telling you, like, two things. One, you deserve this. And two, you can have it. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. And the good, the good life will come to you if you get what you want. Yes. Yeah. Right. Which is which is what leads us basically to all all kinds of sin, but anyway, we have to trust. And Willard said this as well. We have to trust that God actually cares about this in order to give up getting what we want. We have to trust that there is a God who is who loves us and who cares, and who and who can proclaim to us, you know what? Not getting what you want isn't the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Yeah, and there's more to say about this, right? Because God cares about it more than we do means that we change, not we stop wanting. Or we get what we want, but we right. change our relationship to our wants. Yes. We change how we relate to our desires. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that sounds complicated to you or interesting to you, like we unpack that over 10 months in our coaching. 
Yeah. Like that's that's what we do is this mm-hmm. is what it means to orient our desires in the kingdom of God under the lordship of Jesus oriented in the center of love and that takes oh, doesn't take 10 months it takes a lifetime but that's yeah. but that's the that's the uh, the necessary key component here yeah. of how we learn to trust a, that God is good and that yeah. He cares about it more than yeah. Me. We talk about practices that actually help us inhabit that. Like, how? What do I do with this desire? What's underneath it? What's God doing in the midst of this? Yeah. And we unpack. Like, we unpack it with your actual desires, the things that are actually happening in your life. Yes. Yeah. Ben, here's what I want. It's good stuff. I what? want to move on to the fifth. Axiom. Let's do it. Move on to the fifth axiom. Here's you getting what you want, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> you're living. The, I have you're living the, power. the good life now. <laughs> So the fifth axiom is that uh, what God does through me, he also does in me. What God does through me, he also does in me. Um, and uh, the, the, the Christendom assumption that this contrasts with is that the things that God does through me don't really have much to do with the things that he's doing in me, or the things he does through me, he always does sort of after he takes care of things in me, that I, I, I've been transformed and healed, and now I'm going to give you this transformation, this healing, this thing that God has done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it as a resource and give it to you yeah. as, as, a, um, as a product. Yeah. So there's a manipulate. Yeah. So there's a modicum of spiritual maturity, I think, that is needed for anybody who's going to, you know, uh, more is required of, you shouldn't presume to be a teacher, because right, right. if you're going to teach... Like right. you better you better have the character to bear that mm-hmm. that calling right? right so there is that but but there I mean there is a mountain a mountain of scandal that has racked the church and and today we're seeing you know twenty years ago there was a, a reckoning of sexual abuse in the Catholic Church and today mm-hmm. we're seeing a reckoning of of sexual abuse in the Protestant Church yeah. it's just every week we hear. Um, you know, and this isn't this isn't new, but it's just been what what happens is when something like this happens, a leader um, is is caught uh, with a in a relationship with with somebody they shouldn't be in a relationship with. Right. Whether it's whether it's a, um, I mean anybody anybody in a church with authority who gets into a relationship with somebody under their authority has all kinds of abusive sirens should be going off. Right. Um, but we what we see is that the the move the dominant move in the Christian church is to uh, hide that, prote- mm. protect the brand. Yeah. Um, try to handle it internally, quietly. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, usually, victims are told you need to forgive the person who did this. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. These are these are all kinds of stories that are emerging. Right. And we're yeah. speaking generally here, not about any one situation, because every situation is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's a sense in which um, the worst thing that could happen is that the leader would need to repent. And say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Like th- mm. there's an assumption that 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 a leader loses credibility if they have to repent. Now I will say, like, you know, mm. if you have a leader that's abusing people, right? You, you probably should leave that that church. And they probably don't need to be in leadership. Right. But what we've done is we've said that our our authority, our credibility comes from our past redemption. Yeah. And now ongoing, I have to look like I have it all together. Yeah. And if I don't or we don't, then we have to manage and deal with that as quickly as possible in mm-hmm. order to maintain the the as an image. The as image or the impression yeah. that we are good. Yeah. Right? We know what we're doing. We're competent. We've got our stuff together. Right. 
Yeah. So, the, yeah. so in, in Christendom, your authority comes from the illusion of mastery, expertise, and, and competency, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and G- Jesus uh, is, is amazing in the fact that he doesn't call the most competent. Mm-hmm. He calls people who are the most desperate for his grace, and then he invests in them and empowers them so that they can become people who increasingly respond to his grace. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just thinking about the, the crucifixion and like what, what happens to all these people that Jesus has been investing in for three years. I mean, it's, it's a total failure. It's a total failure um, that, that, you know, they, they, they fail to, <laughs> they fail to like stand up for Jesus. They fail to do all the things that they said they were going to do. Yeah. Right. That one guy goes streaking when he gets arrested. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. where was, that wasn't in the Sermon on the Mount. No. <laughs> Come on. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, but uh, nevertheless, like I'm thinking of Jesus' resurrection appearances. He, he comes to them and he, he doesn't say, boy, you guys really blew it. We need to do some PR work. Uh, we need a different marketing campaign. How, how much of this did people see? We need to cover this up. Peter, no. you're under church discipline. Yeah, he 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 didn't do any of that. Instead, he comes and he restores, he heals, he commissions, he he blesses, he right, and he does some of the corrective work. Right, he does that with Peter. Do you love me? Like those questions were about saying. We need to reckon with what yeah, happened. There's a whole podcast on those questions, yeah, that, that interaction. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So Jesus comes to them, and 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 even in 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 the great great commission, Jesus is commissioning people who are worshiping him, but some doubted. Right? We're told some Matthew doubted, says right. some doubted. Yeah. And so, uh, friends, we've got us. We've in Christendom, we have a spirituality where leaders can't doubt. They can't make mistakes, and if they do make mistakes, they have to. When they, when they talk about their mistakes, they have to make it sound as though they've already figured out what was wrong and rectified it before they talk about it. Mm-hmm. And what we need and what Jesus calls and, and empowers and commissions are leaders who are, who are willing and ready to repent, to own and name how they're repenting yeah. in the midst of it, right? Yeah. As, as, like, and this is what First John talks about, like walk in the light. Yes. Like this is the message we proclaim to you. Like when first when John in First John defines the gospel, he defines it as God is light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> God is God is revealing reality and the truth. Yeah. And you can be seen and known in even in your badness right there. Yep. That's the gospel mm-hmm. in First John. Yeah. Right? Come at me. Uh, <laughs> come at me, and you can send all your responses to my email, which is ben at gravityleadership.com. So there, so there is, uh, yeah, so, so, there, uh, so this, God wants to do things through us that he does, uh, that, I'm sorry, God wants to do things in us that he does through us, which means leaders, people, leading families, leading uh, small groups, uh, your ongoing repentance and your despising of the shame that would tell you that um, losing it with your kids or eating too much chocolate after you had a rough day or um, or having a jacked up relationship with your spouse uh, sexually or emotionally, that that would disqualify you from ministry. In fact, what that does is that's, that's the meeting place of God. God's president will work there. Mm-hmm. And as you active, actively receive good news there and walk out repenting and believing there, that is bread for the world. Mm-hmm. That is that is that is the touch point of your authority and your charismatic witness in the body of Christ. Yeah. People need people need uh, uh, 
guides yeah. through repentance. Like, yeah. like, and 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 not like. Well, let me tell you a story. Ten years ago, right? When this I one str- time when I repented, when I struggled. This one time, no. Yeah. Like, how are you, how are you repenting today? Yeah. Let let what God does through you be also what God does in you. Yeah, yeah. So in the kingdom, the the leader is the most transformed person in the system. This is what I tell people. Like, if if you're going to lead a group of people, you have to be committed to becoming the most transformed person in that group. Not bringing the past transformation and saying, hey, you're welcome. I'm, right. I'm here I to worked, lead you. I worked on some things I worked on some things ago. and now I've got some good things. No, like as you interact with the people who don't respond to you, who are who are codependent with you, who, uh, who see you as a threat and want to challenge you, who won't respond to you and are apathetic, who have their own agenda and want to use you for that agenda, as you respond to that, like your crap is going to come out. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to deal with that in a way as a leader that you want other people to deal with their crap. So you yeah. have to be humble, you have to be able to name it, you have to be able to submit it, you have to be able to repent, and you have to be able to hold open space for people to join you in that. Yeah. Because you can't demand vulnerability and repentance, you have to demonstrate it, and then yeah. invite other people into yeah. that redemptive space. Yeah, even even when they're the subject of, of the issue that you're having, opening it up, saying, this is difficult for me, because... Most especially then. Right, right. That's how you demonstrate it. Anyway, right. put a pin talk, in that. That's a whole other podcast. We could talk a lot about that. Uh, sixth axiom is that um, the goal of our discipleship, our growth into the kingdom, is not necessarily moral uh, perfection, nor is it cognitive certitude about what we believe. Um, so it's not necessarily about uh, what we believe or how we behave, but it's about union, spiritual divine union with the Trinity. And I, I think it contrasts, I mean, the contrast is built into the axiom, isn't it? Yeah, this one has, is more explicit. Pretty, sim- pretty simple. That that oftentimes the way that we uh, think of and conceive of um, how, how am I doing in my discipleship and my growth in in the Lord, um, we oftentimes think of that in terms of is my behavior getting better, and is uh, are my beliefs getting more correct? Do I know more things about God? Do I know more things, and are they are they more correct, and uh, am I behaving better? But uh, that's a Christendom. Uh, assumption uh, that we want to challenge with. No, the actual goal is something different. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, hopefully we are knowing more things about God, right? We're not, we're not negating these things. We're just saying that if we aim at them... They're insufficient. They're insufficient. If we aim at them, we don't actually hit the target. The target is union with God. I mean, the analogy is uh, I can stop yelling at my kids, and mm-hmm. I can put a muzzle on my mouth... I can uh, give my wife a taser and she can shoot me with a taser every time I yell at my kids, right. right? I can tell my kids, hey, if I yell at you, I will buy you the next uh, video game system. And so, like, I can put external controls around yeah. my behavior of yelling, yeah. right? And and I might live 30 years not yelling at my kids, but, th- but those external measures and the threats and bribes around them will not, mm-hmm. will not train me or teach me on how to love them. Yeah, this is the whole at least first part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. What he's doing there is saying, you you think that this is the measure of how you're doing with God, but I'm saying to you, it's, it's insufficient. So great, you refrain from murder today, one more day. Great, good job. But are you angry? Do you harbor anger in your heart? You know, he's always getting people down below the surface yeah. uh, of what they're doing. So I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. Can I just say one thing about yeah, this? Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to geek out for 30 seconds. Okay. So there's I'm so this, this shift this shift that we're in, friends, is not just like christened and a missional. That's kind of how we're framing it here. Mm. But there's also um, there's also a shift in physics 
from sort of an Aristotelian, uh, uh, Platonic kind of... Um, Reality is building blocks that we stick together. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of how we think about it, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's this, there's kind of the uh, the the old kind of way of thinking about about physics, where atoms are the building blocks of reality, and, mm-hmm. and what we're what we're discovering as we as we learn about, like for instance, the quantum nature of the universe, is mm-hmm. that that ev- everything we see um, from the smallest particles to the largest things in in the cos the cosmos everything we see is our our in is energy and relationship right so the the chair that's in this room right now looks solid to me but the solidness of that chair aren't the atoms stacked on top of each other so they become so dense that the 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 substance of the atoms is what i'm feeling what i'm feeling is the energy and relationship between particles yeah yeah. Right. So th- this is and this is blowing our minds, uh, meaning me right now. Yeah. But it's also <laughs> changing the way we think about and see reality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to say, just quickly, I think that there is a mountain of um, of helpful access to what Jesus is doing as he builds relationships in his church. Uh, that is analogous to what we're discovering in yeah. in quantum physics. Yes, right. That yeah. the relationship between things is where the important stuff happens. Yes, not is thing one and thing two the right thing. Are they situated correctly? Yes. Are they in the right spot? Right. But rather, what we thought was things being situated in spots is actually energy. In relationship, right, and so the relationship becomes. I think what I think here's what blows my mind about this is that then the relationship between things becomes the most important thing to focus on in any system, down to the physical, you know, the the metaphysical level of yeah. like what's what, what is reality. Yeah. But then it also changes the way that you you think about what God is doing in His church, and you, it changes the way that I read the Gospels. I see Jesus. You know, uh, not trying to situate things, but he's he's trying to uh, create this new way of these you know people relating. He's trying to create new ways for people to relate. Yep. You know, which which can can reflect maybe the fundamental nature of the universe. This is why we're called gravity leadership. Yeah. This is why exactly. Uh, and now that everyone's turned the podcast off, let's go to our <laughs> last axiom. Forty three minutes in. All right. So the last axiom is this that. Um, that we learn not primarily through objective analysis, but through subjective participation. We learn primarily not through objective analysis, but through subjective participation, not necessarily through memorization and regurgitation that leads to mastery of subject matter, but through imitation and participation that involves failure and growth into something that we're... I mean, this relates to the the metaphysical kind of conversation that we're just having, totally. right? Because the way that I learn is not by uh, becoming a different kind of thing that knows more, but the way that I learn is by interacting with, participating in a new reality that just opened up for me, trying it out. That's how we learn. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the Christendom idea is you, you, go, to, you go to a school, you master divinity, you have... 
you have all these tools in your toolkit, and then from your expertise, from your mastery, you apply solutions, and you bring information, and you influence uh, behavior onto some ideal that you have. Yeah, right. A picture in your head of and, yeah. And so I, I sort of stand as the leader, distinct from the people I'm leading. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to convince or cajole or get them to Move. do something, yeah. right? Yeah. As as the leader, uh, and and my and my and so uh, and I can teach you from this distance. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Because because to teach you is to give you information, give you ideas and advice that you remember and apply. Yep. Right. Go home and apply this. Right. right. But this isn't how we learn. No. Nope. No. This isn't how we learn. And Jesus Jesus models this. He shows us this over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the New Testament gives us all these um, examples of people saying, yeah, you, you, you need to come back to this milk, right? Because we've given, you, we've given you an example to imitate, and you're still, you know, I want to move on to meat, but you can't, mm-hmm. you're not ready for it yet. Yeah. Um, and so there's, uh, this challenges our Christendom assumption that, that we can learn distinct from and separated from our actual life and relationships yeah and entanglements yeah yeah where uh, we the, and the way the impulse uh, the way I see this show up in my life is that um, the impulse for me typically is to step away from to try to get more objective distance from a situation or a subject yeah in order to learn something right and so that that's what we mean by objective um, analysis. That's what we mean by that, is like the instinct is to step away from something, to see it more clearly, and th- there's some benefit to this, yep. you know, at, at times. So so as we as we clarify these things, we're, we're not creating dualisms. Right. But what we're saying is the way that we've seen them through Christendom lenses are insufficient, mm-hmm. and they need correctives. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, so my, my tendency is to think that I can learn something by stepping away from it only— and taking notes on it, and learning some sort of abstract truth about it, and then some from, principle I can apply, and then from and, my big control center in my head, yeah. apply that what I've right. learned into yeah. my life through my prefrontal right. cortex. Right, exactly. But uh, the what, what learning is the way we actually learn is is much more participative. It's much more behavioral, where we try out a new behavior and we see what the results are. It's a, it's it's almost like an experiment that we're doing. Yes. That that doesn't involve universal principles and then we apply those universal principles into situations, but it actually works from the ground up where we say, "Okay, here's a situation that bothers me. What do I do?" We hear good news about that situation and we try an experiment in faith where we're like, "All right, well, what would what would happen if I did this instead?" Mm-hmm. And we we try it out. We participate in this reality. We we inject a new uh, you know, a new something, a yep. new way of relating, a yep. new way, a new thing that I say, or yep. a, a new thing that I do into that reality, and then from that place, then then we step away and we can debrief and say, okay, what happened? Yeah, how did that go? What did I learn? What changed? What was different? Yeah, so this axiom changes our relationship to failure. It changes mm-hmm. our relationship to what we expect to happen when we st- step into any new arena or realm. Yeah, with uh, you know of. Of, of learning something, right? Yeah. It changes the way that we as leaders, uh, it changes our posture to learning. We don't mm-hmm. learn on behalf of others. I'm going to go spend 30 hours this week learning about this text, and then I'm going to give you what I've learned so you can learn it too. Right. Right? It change, but rather, it, we, we embed ourselves in a, in a, a, a context of relationships, and we take on the responsibility of being the, like, being the, the one who's learning the most. 
Yeah. Right? And yeah. what I mean by that is not like, look at me, how great I am, I'm learning the most, but no, this is how you learn. You fail, and then you're you're open about your failure. Right? You, yeah. you say, why, yeah. why couldn't we cast this one out? <laughs> you know, you right. say things like, uh, yeah. uh, tell me again why just eating with the Jews here is bad. You know, like, mm-hmm. like we, yeah. we, we are, we are failing so that we can learn. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's not always failure. I'm thinking about Jesus sending out the 72 and they come back and it, you know, Jesus says, all right, you do the things that I've been doing. Try yeah. the, try it out. Try it out. And by and large, they come back and say, it worked. And that's a, for, that's learning too. And yes. Jesus says, that's great. And Woo-hoo. he rejoices with them and right. they, you know, they have a, they have a little party. Um, and so you get to learn then. It, failure failure becomes an occasion for learning, but so does success. Yes. It's, success isn't like, okay, I'm done learning now. No, success is a point of learning. Okay, yeah. what happened? Yeah. Why did it work? Great. Well, we could talk uh, another 45, 48 minutes about this stuff, uh, but uh, this is probably sufficient to end our initial sort of foray into the axioms mm-hmm. and to give us uh, maybe maybe better handles on, on why in this moment, this cultural moment of late Christendom, 21st century, almost post-Christian culture, why these axioms are vital and important for our missional spirituality in the world. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, We will talk to you next time. Peace. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question, suggest a topic for future episodes. And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful throughout the week. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.